This is the Courier Talking Football. I'm Eric Nicholson, and with me this week are Alan Temple, Jim Spence, and Sean Hamilton. We have a Talking Football full house. Welcome to you all, gentlemen. Alan, you can you can uh, you can just sit in your uh, your recline. I'm picturing you in a reclining seat. You can smoke a cigar for the next ten minutes because one of our number who was on national television, very good you were on as, as well, Sean, on the, the view from the terrace, predicting a Dundee United victory against South against Celtic in the Scottish Cup. So <laughs> we'll start with you, Sean. Where did that go? Right? What were you yeah, thinking? It, it, it didn't quite work out. It didn't quite work out. Right. Listen, we'll we'll move to you next. But Jim was Jim was at the game. Jim, I have to say, you know, United, United are getting things right in a lot of ways. You know, a lot of people are talking about how, you know, they're sort of the social media, the wee video clips, uh, all you know, everything, they're doing a lot of things right. They certainly they hyped this game up big style, didn't they? They had three three sides of United fans, and then United put in a performance that has no shots on target, and the first corner was in the ninety first minute. That's a that's as big an anticlimax as as you can get, isn't it, Jim? Uh, absolutely, Eric. I mean, uh, and all showed no substance. It's great, you know, when when you've got kind of great media stuff and connecting with fans, younger fans and older fans, all the rest. That's great. Um, but ultimately, punters always want to see. Um, the team doing well in the park, winning games, or at least, you know, at least making a real fist of it. And last night, United just got nowhere near Celtic. Uh, they were well beaten. It could have been more. There were, you know, were elements to Hatati should have been sent off and all the rest of it. But they were they were well beaten. They didn't have a shot on goal. I mean, they did. If not this have is a, a league game, Jim, you can you can kind of you can ex- you can excuse it, can't you? Because you you play, you can go a cagey approach, all the rest of it. A cup tie. You know, even I'm, well, I'm just looking at even at Motherwell against yeah. Hibs when they're down to ten men, but they still, they still, you know, gave it a real go. You know, yeah. they didn't, did they? Well, the, the thing is, Eric. I mean, you know, I suppose it comes down to kind of how you play the game. I mean, and you play league games differently from you play cup games. I think we know that. But look, you're, you're never going to pass Celtic off the pass. You, you, you might, you know, you might kind of almost pass Motherwell or Kilmarnock or you know, uh, no, Kerry in the top league. But you know what I mean. I mean, you, you mm-hmm. know, you might pass teams pretty much at your, you know, at the rest of Premiership level off the off the park if you're on a good day and all the rest of it. By and large, we know you're not going to do it with Celtic or Rangers because both these clubs are. Eminently better off. They sign better players. They sign players with much more money. They are by and large better. Uh, so you know, trying to pass them off the park just doesn't work. And particularly when you kind of do it at pace or, or you know, with the kind of alacrity of movement that you need. So you've got to have a bang. You know, particularly in a cup tie, you have a you've got to have a bang at goal. You've got to get the park the ball up the park quickly. And frankly, bluntly, that that. I think sometimes means just going along, bypassing the midfield and all the rest. So you didn't have a shot on goal. You've got two players who are decent players, Clark and, and McNulty leading the line. But th- th- frankly, they've not, they're not of the quality to trouble Celtic in an out-and-out kind of passing movement game. So, you know, when you don't get a shot on target against Celtic, and you don't win your first corner until the 91st minute, you've not got a chance. You've got a hope in hell. Um, I know they missed Tony Watt, and I think that was always going to be a big miss. I'm not entirely sure what the story was with Charlie Mulgrew, because for me, he's invaluable in defence, both defence defensively and passing, but they just, to me, they never, ever looked like getting to grips with the game. The wee spell after Celtic went one up, 
Um, the second goal took the wind out of their sails. That was an unfortunate. I wouldn't criticise uh, Seagrass for it. He's been a terrific goalkeeper for them. You know, every yeah, yeah. every goal has one of those a season. You know, so I kind of you, you almost you know exculpate him for that. But really, from United, a poor performance. Yeah, how were the fans reacting to it as it was playing out, Jim? I can imagine they're they're you know you know roaring at them to try and like come on, let's get in their faces, that sort of thing. You know, was it? What sort of atmosphere was it? Did it, well, did it or, or did it did it quickly become apparent that you know this was this was going to be a game that they were going to be second best in? Yeah, it was a good atmosphere early on. You know, you you the kind of whatever you think of Pyron, there was a bit of Pyron and all the rest of it. Sometimes I think lends a bit of most to the game and all the rest of it. Um, but it was eight and a half thousand at it, Eric. You know, I mean, I think you know. There was a combination, I had a bit, of, a bit of debate on Twitter about this. I mean, I think the pricing was 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 garbage, and I know that Celtic were apparently responsible for much of this, the way the, the prices were set and all the rest of it. And I thought it would have been a great idea if United have three sides of the ground, if they could have been assured of, set, of, of filling it out. But frankly, on reflection, you'd have been better giving Celtic the Celtic again, filling the ground, bringing the prices down. And I, I know that much of that was Celtic's fault. Um, having the bulk of United support, if you were only going to have maybe, you know, the five and about thousand in the, the main George Fox and, and the, the, I think it's three that the, the Eddie Thompson takes, you know, pretty much filling the ground and having a real atmosphere. Fans don't, it's great. Fan, you know, fans can roll you on, they can encourage you, they don't score goals. You know, so um, I thought eight and a half thousand for, for a cup tie. Um, against Celtic, I think was poor, but I understand why. I mean, the prices. You know, asking people in a city like Dundee at this time, of, you know, at this time of year, any time of year, to stump up twenty-seven quid is a lot of money. It's, it's a lot of money. So a lot of things went wrong in the night, and the atmosphere. I thought from United fans, there was a couple of periods where they kind of. They got chanting and you know the good banner display and all the rest of it beforehand, but these things don't win your games. You know they they encourage you and all the rest of it, but I just got the whole sense last night that that you know United had a feeling they couldn't match Celtic and they certainly never came close to doing it. It was a real, real disappointing affair. Yeah, Sean, I'm joking. We're having a wee jesse at the start there, but what what was it that gave you confidence that this could be United's night? It was their two previous performances at Celtic Park mainly. This season, the first the first of which was was a draw uh, that they got back in September, and then the second of which in January they lost one 0 but only to a to a last minute um, Leila Bada goal. So I thought that the United at their best this season had had proven that they they had it in them to give to give Celtic a game, um, and they, they they didn't do that um, last night. Uh, there's no way around it. So. Uh, I mean, I'm not. I'm not going to sit here and say I thought it was a banker or it was a sure thing, but I thought I thought they had a chance, you know, uh, of doing something if if they if they turned up and put in a, a sort of aggressive kind of performance. And I think when you listen to Tom Court saying no, we, they, they stuck to the game plan. I think I kind of think that's what he means that he wanted an aggressive performance, but there wasn't really enough of it, was there? Um, and I think the statistics that you, you you held up at the start there about shots on goal and corners and whatever that that tells the story in that regard. Um, there, there there wasn't enough attacking intent uh, by United, and, and there there wasn't enough of an ability to to get their foot on the ball and and, and control elements of the game. Um, so so they, they they failed on both of those fronts, really. Yeah, um, I mean, you you and so I, you, sorry, Sean, you and I, we've had plenty of discussions on here about uh, about St. Johnson and and their formation. Um, but the one th- the one thing you can you can say, even though you you are wanting to see it change at certain points, is that Callum Davison's players have been signed for 
that formation over the, the past ones in couple January, of, yeah. And, yeah. And, and before, you know, well, he inherited Tommy Wright's team, but then added to it, you know, the, the season before. So that is kind of, that's what they do. That's 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 what he's looking for from players who, who are going to fit that. It doesn't feel the same with United, does it? I mean, I, you know, I was looking at the players out wide and it felt a bit too, too square peg for a round hole for me. I don't know about you. I mean, the... the Losing Paulette for the the rest of the season is obviously, I mean, uh, uh, it hurts them. Um, I think Niskanen's been one who there was a lot expected of, and at certain times this season, he's 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 looked decent, but nowhere near enough. Um, I think too too often he's he's kind of flat to deceive. hasn't quite hasn't quite shone as brightly as they wanted him to. So. Yeah, I mean, you could you could you could say that that's a a problem area for them out, out wide and up up top, and that's borne out by the stats. They don't score very many goals, but I mean, defensively, generally, they've been they've been pretty good. Um, they weren't last night, obviously. Um, they were <laughs> when you, but I mean that all 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 of that said, um, it just they they just didn't turn up, and I think that's what that's what it comes down to, and. And if I could just touch on the the crowd thing for a minute, I think to be honest with you, in United's defence a little bit, I think they were kind of damned if they didn't, damned if they didn't on that front, because you did have a section of fans, quite a vocal one, on social media beforehand calling for United to to keep the shed, and kind of retain that home advantage. They did so. The the, the quid pro quo of that with Celtic was that Celtic wouldn't put the prices any lower than twenty seven. Um. But as soon as that news became apparent, all the people who were shouting for the shed to be kept were now criticising the club for having kept it. So they, 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 they just couldn't, I don't think they could win. I think they tried to do the right thing. And then there was a perception that they'd done the wrong thing. Um, that's just football fans. I know, no, I know. There's no satisfying people oh, sometimes. Indeed. Alan, I'm going to come to you in a second, but I don't suppose you're a, you're a shed expert. So I'm going back to, to Jim on just because just he's raised a point there that's kind of always, I've always been a bit... <sighs> bit confused about it the shed United fans go on about the shed obviously you see them on Twitter you know it's, it's the traveling shed when they're going away from home you know everybody remembers those those iconic European nights particularly the Kevin Gallagher cross shot whatever it was with the shed behind it all the rest of it why why did United you know give us a history lesson why have United why did United give it away in the first place why why don't they put them in there all the time because mm-hmm. because uh, the away fans used to be away fans used to be at the other end before what you know if it's such a big thing for United fans surely they should be in that every game and then you 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 build your other sections around it. Well, the history you come the right man for the history lesson because as I, I, I did, call, yeah. it was myself a guy called John Linehan who was at law side with me and a few other boys um, who used to frequent the shed the days when United were sometimes lucky to get three and a half and four thousand of a home support and and we named it the shed after the Chelsea shed uh, so. You've got one of the you, original shed boys here. Oh um, my lord! <laughs> so there you are. There's a wee, there's a wee history lesson for you. Get that in your um, column on Saturday. So, <laughs> so listen. I mean, I must admit, I, you know, I kind of occasionally went week about to Dan's Antar this as, as a laddie growing up. You know, but um, uh, that 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 was a wee history lesson. But yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I think it's um, you know the talk about the shed, but in, in fact, the shed lies empty for the bulk of the season, doesn't it? Unless Aberdeen or yeah. Hearts or Celtic Rangers or Dundee, you know. So for for other games, uh, you know, it, it kind of lies pretty empty, and I don't I don't know why, um, because it's it's a kind of thunderously noisy place when it is, um, as you saw last night when it is occupied, uh, and it was pretty much three quarters full last night. Um, 
it tends to be um, a, a noisy place. Um, look, the, the problem United suffer from is they play by and large an average crowd of what six, six and a bit thousand, something like that, and the ground takes more than twice that. So, like most Scottish grounds, it kind of it lacks atmosphere bluntly at most games, you know. And I'm not sure how you how how you sort that. There's a bit of atmosphere now and again in the Eddie Thompson when you know when they really get it going and all the rest of it. But um, I, you know, it is quite bizarre here. This kind of shed shed boys on tour and all the rest of it. When in fact they don't. They don't occupy the shed anymore, but anyway, that's the history lesson for today, Eric. Oh, well, oh, good, good. No, no, I enjoyed that. I'll go to Alan now. Come on, which which parts of which grounds have you christened over the last few years, Alan? No? I was just enjoying that history lesson <laughs> yeah, from my so. uh, leather-bound swivel <laughs> reclining chair. It was right. uh, absolutely you can, delightful. You can lean forward now. It's safe, right? I mean, when I looked at the United team, a lot of it we touched on out wide. A lot of the ire is focused on. McNulty and Clark up front and they do feel like a bit of a semi partnership to me. if if you're a if you're a Celtic player, manager, fan, and you see that team line, you're gonna be quite happy with that, aren't you? Because you know they're gonna be playing in front of you. They're not gonna they're not gonna test you for 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 pace, play on the shoulder. It's not. It's not. A, it doesn't feel like a natural combination to me, Alan. What about you? Tony Watt was absolutely missed. I think you can safely say that in terms of uh, offering a variety and an ability to get in behind. I thought, you know, Sean was right to touch on Peter Paul. I know he's been missing for a while, but he gives an ability to break the lines from the middle and get forward that I think they're badly lacking at the moment. And also, they're. Dundee United are clearly lacking a plan B in attack, which would have been a Max Biamu. That's clearly why someone like him was yeah, brought yeah. to the club. Physicality and ability to hold the ball up and bring others into the game. They were unable to get him off the, the wage bill in January and thus not able to bring anyone else of his ilk into the club. So those are, are key issues. I think there's, I mean, the goals for column evidently shows that there's a problem with attacking impetus and, and, and potency in the final third. Um, and when you have that, you need to be tight at the other end. And I know we've talked about Benjamin Segrist's error, and as Jim rightly says, that happens, but it's the first goal for me that's the killer. You know, when you're trying to keep out Celtic and you've done okay in the first half in that regard, and you concede from a short corner, schoolboy short corner, two passes, and Cal- a player like Callum McGregor is is left completely free on the edge of the box. That is utterly criminal, um, and that's that's the killer. So, I, I mean, I, I can kind of understand why Dundee United set up as as they did, um, because they don't have the weaponry to um, to hurt Celtic and, and, and play in a, in a dominant manner, but if you're going to go the other way, then you cannot concede goals like Dundee United conceded yesterday. It's just, it's unforgivable, really. Yeah, I know. I mean, United aren't gonna. They're not gonna have a. They're not gonna have a like for like for for Tony Watt, Jim, are they? I mean, that's just 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 totally totally unrealistic, isn't it? But already he has become absolutely. <laughs> you could almost say he was. He's he's more he's more pivotal to what United do now than than. Than Shankland was, isn't he? Because because of the 
because there just isn't anybody anybody close to being like him in that squad. No, well, I mean, before Shankland left, he wasn't scoring goals anyhow. You know, I mean, his his kind of his championship form had, had, had deserted him. You know, against the higher level <clears throat> of opposition. In fairness to the lad, he did. You know, he had injury problems and all the rest of it as well. Um, but Tony Watt, um, I think, is on a, a a different level for me because you know he's not an out and out striker. I said the other week in a column, we've all discussed that. You know, but. Um, He's become almost talismanic because he's got terrific, um, he's got two good feet. You know, he controls the ball beautifully. It's very, very tight to, to him when he controls it. He gets by men. You know, people look at him and don't think he's particularly pacey, but he gets away from men. That that fraction of a of a kind of half yard kind of thing gets away from people. And and he, he puts lovely crosses into to the box. He's physically strong. He's intelligent. He sees, he sees passes and all the rest of it. But what United lack, and, you know, Alan's just had it on the head there. I mean, they, they lack that. I mean, it's not so much a plan B. They've not got a plan A these days, you know. I mean, they lack that kind of, um, I hesitate to say physical presence. It doesn't matter if you're a big physical presence or a small physical presence. I mean, over the years, you all think of penalty box strikers like Joe Harper or Gertie Muller going way back, you know. Um, strikers who weren't particularly big, but they were adept in the box. They used, uh, they used their physicality well. You know, they held people off. They got shots in or they were big guys that could power in with a header or something like that when ammunition came into the box. Um, United don't have that. They don't have an out-and-out target man. You don't have to be six foot six to be a target man. You've just got to be a target man. You've got to know where the goal is. You've got to make runs across defenders. You've got to find room in the box, you know, time your runs and all the rest of it. United do not have that. I mean, I'm, you know, I, I'm not overly critical of um, of McNulty and Clark. I think they're both good players at, at, at a certain level, and they're decent enough players at a level in the Premiership. But when you come up against Celtic um, or Rangers, because those are the two big guns like it, or Lumpet in Scotland, they're not going to be unseated anytime soon. Um, when you come up against a higher quality of opposition, it's difficult unless you've got something spectacular in your locker to to profit, you know, and, and, and break teams like that down. And and United just don't have that in the locker. So when you miss um when you miss the likes of a, a, a Tony Watt, it's it's a massive miss. Or when you miss, I mean given the way Celtic play, they you know, they're on top of you all the time, they push you right from the start. But it does leave potentially gaps at the back for a, a speed merchant, you know, for a for a break. And again, you know, if you've got Peter Pollock, you've got somebody who's quick on the break, not an out-and-out out striker again. But, they, you know, last night they didn't have that. They didn't have the pace to trouble Celtic on the break. Not that they ever looked like breaking, I have to say, anyhow. So it was just, um, it, it was, a, a you know, a showing where they were just outgunned all night and uh, didn't have anything close to the ammunition to, to trouble Celtic. And not a yeah. shot on goal uh, signifies that. Yeah, sure. I mean, this isn't a... We're not going to, I'm not going to go into Tam Courts on this podcast because I, I actually I think you guys have touched on it well. I don't I think he's got to have the I'm not sure he had the tools to do anything in anything different, you know, in this game and potentially other games as well. I mean, I'll, I'll stick to my guns. I think he's you know he's done a pretty good job this season, all told. But there's real jeopardy now, isn't there, for United now? Um, them and a few other clubs, right enough. But if oh, God, this. I. It, it does feel like we're kind of marking time for a couple of weeks on these uh, podcasts as far as United as far as United goes, certainly because they don't make top six. I think it it, it really really changes the the narrative surrounding surrounding them, and they're now going to a St. Martin team who okay they didn't they didn't beat Hearts, but their fans were. You can, there's a, there's another contrast. I mentioned Motherwell there, but there's another contrast. St. Martin, their fans came away from their game. Away to Hearts, happy—not happy, but they—they they were like we had a right good go. 
scored an absolutely unbelievable goal. But they felt they didn't feel shortchanged. They felt that they've gone out. They've gone out the cup with a bang compared to United, who've gone out with a with a whimper. And now, if they that's that's the that, that is the jeopardy of these cup games. You can say it's a free a free hit against a Celtic or Rangers, but if you don't fire a fire a shot, then it does it isn't a free hit because it creates this sort of you know this real sort of you know frustration amongst the fan base. So this is a big big game for them now Saturday, isn't it? I mean, I suppose it is. But the, I mean, the, the crazy thing to my mind again, we, we, we've we've touched on this in relation to Dundee this season, but it's the same with United at this point. It's the it's the roller coaster nature of the the reaction to these results. Um, I mean, from 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 what we I think we spoke about this last week, but from or the week before, fans on social media, it's it's week to week. It's it's Tam Court's Tangerine Army, and then Tam Court's is hopeless, and then oh, we're we're back on board again, and oh, now he has to go again, and that's just. It's 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 mental to me. Uh, it's it, it gets crazy, and and the problem is, it's actually it's a league table now where you've only got five points between tenth and fourth. So there's this massive group of clubs in the middle of the table that none of which have, have none of whom have been able to mark themselves out as sort of really yeah, yeah, much better than any of the other ones. Um, so yeah, there's that's where the jeopardy comes from in the sense that I mean. It, you could you could easily finish tenth as in Europe at this point, which is which is bonkers, uh, with only three games to go <laughs> until the split. Um, so uh, yes, top six is what United fans want this season. I think, given the players that are there, I think they're entitled to that. And if they don't achieve top six, yeah, I think you probably could chalk it up as. Uh, a failure but that said I don't think you would chalk it up as the sort of failure where you'd look at Tam Courts in his first season as a manager and go that's him done but unfortunately it, it seems to me like a section of Dundee United fans are minded to do that whenever they get beat um, and I just I don't I, it, it, it can't be this sort I, of like up and down Jim you're trying to chip in there yeah no I, I think the, <clears throat> Sean's right there by the way I mean it will be a failure if, if, if United don't make top six and, and Livingston and Ross County above them do two sides who are are you know, much less resourced. I know all the stories about Roy McGregor's worth a fortune, and he is. You know, he's a he's a good guy, Roy, and he puts money into the club and all the rest of it. But Dundee United should be finishing, I think, above Ross County and Livingston. Um, you know, so <clears throat> if they don't make top six, I think it is a failure. And while they don't have the personnel to trouble, you know, um, a Celtic or Rangers or Hearts on a regular basis, um, they certainly have the personnel to trouble the rest. And I mean, you know, there are a lot of guys here who are good players who will be earning decent money. You know, they've got a, a core of really good players, you know, between what Kevin McDonald's come in and we wait to see whether he can continue, given the, 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 the dreadful health issues that he's had, whether he can restore himself to top flight football. But he's certainly got all the ability in the world. You know, Charlie Mulgrew at the back, some of the youngsters uh, coming through. And there was a really interesting statistic that um, we, we were talking about the press box last night. Now, I'm going to <coughs> try to find my notes on this. I've put my, my note by the way, someplace can't find it. United have apparently used 40 players this season in the first team. 
Now, <clears throat> I'm going to have to check that again. But So, you know, don't think that's gospel at the moment. Apparently, you used 40 players. That, that, that's actually quite an astonishing um, statistic, you know. Uh, but they, they, they should, um, they should, and I think they do have sufficient calibre of player to get them into the top six. And if they don't finish there, then I think it is a failure. As far as the fans go, look, United are like every other club. They have got a section of the support. Um, which, you know, is just <clears throat> inconsolable in defeat uh, and sometimes even unhappy in victory. They, they, you know, they go from kind of top of Ben Nevis to the, kind of the depths of the River Tay in about five minutes flat. Um, but, you know, they're the paying public. They're the guys that buy their season books and follow the club all over the country. And, and that's what it is. Modern social media is a fact of life. You know, people can have a go. You understand why Tom Courts and others don't uh, don't use it. I think the key thing is what will the owner, Mark Ogren, think if they don't finish, he has said that top six, it has to be a top six finish, if I'm not mistaken, isn't he? That was the mm-hmm. ambition. Put it in the, in the um, annual accounts, yeah. yeah. That. Uh, that said, um, I, I think, I'm not sure if some United fans quite get the model that United are working on. That is a model where very much the sporting director and the manager or the coach um, work hand in hand. And it's not, when we were talking about, you know, when Tom Courts was appointed and it shocked a lot of people and horrified some people, um, I think the key thing was there were many traditional Scottish managers who would not work within that framework. They just wouldn't do it. You know, um, <clears throat> there are a lot of big name Scottish managers who simply will not work with a sporting director having such a big input as they have at United. But that's the model that United have chosen. That's a model that the owner uh, is comfortable with. So, uh, you know, I, I mean, I don't know. I would never ever suspect, I would never ever kind of, you know, throw my heart up in the air and say, here's what will happen to Tom Courts if they finish in seventh or eighth or ninth, um, because we just don't know. But, uh, you know, I, I think in terms of the model that United have got, um, that's the way things are. Uh, and and, and fi- I think some fans have been pretty slow to, to accept it things have changed United are not you know, working on the traditional model um, anymore in Scottish football yeah cheers Jim well we'll, we'll move on to Dundee now because we've got the man in, in with us who covered their game on Sunday Alan you were at uh, Dens Park and so listen, we'll stick with the fans theme because if if, you, if United's uh, match had had the, the big build up the big hype and the big drum roll whatever you want to call it I don't, I don't think Dundee's did, did it? And it uh, it lived down to expectations, didn't it? Because fans just voted with their feet, didn't they? They're, they're, uh, it's that, I don't want to set Jim off on one of his sort of, uh, speaking about the sort of the deep-rooted and long-standing issues that there are at Dens Park. There's a, there's a podcast in it and that all on its own. There's a series of podcasts and that all on its own. But at the minute, apathy is really, really biting in at Dens Park, and that's that's incredibly dangerous, isn't it? That's the perfect word, uh, apathy. It was a a grim non-event on Sunday from a Dundee perspective. Um, grim spectacle know, to see to see fans, yeah. just, you know, just sort of dotted around those those stands, you know. Rather, than... it was kind of it was kind of surreal in in one way, in the sense that you know James Tavernier goes down for what is a at best 50-50 penalty decision it goes against Dundee and there's no anger there's no people losing their mind when Tavernier steps up to take the penalty 
smashes it into the top corner. There's no booze prior to that. There's no massive jeers. There's no real belief for attempts to put him off. Third goal goes in. Where's the where's the anger? Where's people slamming their seats? Where, yeah, it's just nobody is engaged. This decision to replace James McPake with Mark McGee, if it turns out to be the right decision, fair dues, fantastic. But at this moment in time, six played, one none. All it's achieved is kind of ripping the soul out of the the fan base in terms of any belief and positivity. There's just absolute disillusionment around the place. I think you could conservatively say Dundee fans were outnumbered three to one, probably closer to four to one mm-hmm. by Rangers fans. And I wouldn't even blame. Uh, you know, that's we're so petty at times in this country that we'll see a small crowd and. Uh, People will just use it as a stick to beat that fan base with. And that's frankly pathetic at this at this stage when people have so many financial concerns and things beyond football. So at £30 a ticket, I'm not blaming a single Dundee fan that didn't pay that. Because oh, why why on earth would you? You wouldn't see to put that sort of outlay uh, out there at a time like this with you know utility and fuel prices going through the roof. You need to be given a reason to. You need to be given a feeling that you're, you know, part of something. That you're going to see a club that is going in the right direction and cares about you and values you. And yeah. I don't think anybody feels like that um, of a of a Dundee persuasion at the moment. And uh, while I, I understand that he's he was in Italy for um, you know business purposes, uh, John Nelms being at the Olympico to watch. Scotland beat Italy at the rugby on Saturday and not being at Dens Park on Sunday is a terrible look, regardless of why he was in Italy. And that doesn't help matters at all. It was just a a, a grim, grim afternoon. Thing is, Jim, and uh, this, Alan's led us in there seamlessly to, to John Nelms. The bit that, the bit that gets me, the, the difference with Dundee, I mean, compared to other clubs is you know we're not talking about now James McPay yes he got those he got those two wins but one of them was a terrible performance up at Peterhead and it was Hearts but anyway there was a large and we've done this podcast for months and and admitted that there was a large chunk of the Dundee fan base gosh it might even be the majority wanted to see McPay go so they they would have they weren't you know they, they would have been sympathy with the time and all the rest of it so this isn't a case of a new manager coming in to replace, like say Bielsa at Leeds, or you know one of these where you know they're finding it you know really tough to get their head around the previous guy going. So it really is on the the fury and the apathy, whichever you think's worse, really is on on Nelms, isn't it? Because. It's. I don't even think it's on McGee, is it? No. Um. I, I, by the way, I think <clears throat> apathy is worse than anger, and um, I, I think that's the real danger. That slow, um, almost cancerous growth that, that just you know sees a club that the marrow being sucked out of a club, and and you know I take Alan's point. It, it, it's, uh, I, I'm not being critical. I wasn't being critical of fans at Tannery either. I mean, you know, asking people to pay twenty seven and thirty quid for a game at this time of year in the Scottish Cup. I mean, speaking as someone who you know who's sitting here in the kitchen with an electric blanket and be watching that smart meter oh, around worryingly in the, the central heating off. You know, <laughs> um, no, I mean, I think <laughs> there's a serious danger here for Dundee. I, I, Eric, I'll be honest with you. I my suspicion is that 
um, if it's not the case, that it's heading towards the case where the Tim Keys experiment is over. Um, I, I, I cannot see any longer what is in think what what is in it for Tim Keys running Dundee Football Club. Um the underachievement has been on a spectacular scale. I, I mean I don't know the exact headcount that was there on Sunday. We know there are reasons for it, prices and and lots of folk won't go to to games against Rangers for, for various reasons, you know, that we don't have to go into here, but we know what they are. Um but the truth of the matter is that uh you know Dundee had at the recent derby at Dens, Dundee it's had about 7, a thousand, I think, Jim. By yeah, the way, yeah. I think, Dundee, I think Dundee had seven thousand fans, so there is still a very substantial fan base for Dundee in, in Scottish football. They have, you know, outside of the, you know the old firm, Hibs and Hearts, Aberdeen and United, they have the seventh biggest core potential core support in Scottish football. They, they they still have a big support, which is quite astonishing, given how many disappointments they've had over the years. I think, you know, t- to some extent, I mean, you know, I've written about this, we've spoken about it. I did, I disliked the way McGee. Uh, sorry, I disliked the way McPake was treated. I thought it was dishonourable. We know how these things happen in football and all the rest of it. But, you know, I thought if they were going to sack the man, they should have sacked him. Obviously, they would have there would have been feelers out and all the rest of it, but done things a wee bit more honourably than just kind of punting him out the door one day and somebody walking in the next, you know. Um, but that's a choice that a club make. And as long as they weigh somebody in with proper compensation and all the rest, there's not much you can do about that. Um, so, you know... I, but to some extent, McGee has has kind of walked into this, Mark McGee, and I I, I I I'm not sure if he can turn this around or not. I mean, who knows? I mean, you know, I, I've said over the piece over the course of the season that I thought Dundee had actually a decent enough squad and they had sufficient players in there to get themselves out of trouble. But th- there's got to come a stage, and I've written about this as well. But you know, we all know the league table doesn't lie, and at the end of the day, with you know three games short of going into the playoffs. When you've played 30 games and you've only won five and you've lost 17, you've drawn eight and you've got 23 points and you've scored 24 goals and conceded more than twice that, 51, you've simply got to concede that the players aren't good enough. You know, um, and th- there are motivational elements, I suspect, now. Um, you know, the, the, lo- the losing the Rangers on Sunday was almost neither here nor you know. Here, there, there. I said that in my column last week, last weekend in the Courier. I mean, bigger, bigger fish to fry, and mainly the bigger fish to fry the fact that they've got to try and and, and get above St. Johnson to finish because you know either either Saints or Dundee are going down now. Eh? We pretty much know that, you know. So it's a case of can they get above St. Johnson, sit a point behind them, same games played, um, with the fixtures coming up that are quite tough, hard to see because they've got they've got to do it all again. Uh, with Rangers psychologically battered and bruised going into again at Dance Park uh, on Sunday with Rangers. But there are real, real issues, I think, at Dance Park. And you've got John who will not sit down with fans groups, he'll not talk to fans groups. Dundee fans are in despair, uh, but mainly they're in apathy. And I I think, you know, I, I actually really think the fans groups have got to sit down Start speaking to each other seriously about what they can do to rescue the situation this club is in, because I fear for the future of the club. I mean, what does he's throwing you a bit of a hot potato there, Sean? Because you're next, but I mean, it's yeah, you know, John Nell's been away, optics, all that sort of stuff. Do you is it is it symbolic? Does it actually? What does it actually? Is it, is it just a? Is it just? Is it a lack of judgment? Is it? Is it absolutely? Not, is it no fault of his? Where, where does it? Where does it sit? Uh, I think. I think there is. It does indicate a lack of of judgment. Certainly the the the, the fact that, that that it got out 
uh, if you like, that that's what was happening, that he was in Rome. Um, and if it's, if it's a talking point that relatively few Dundee fans turn up, that's also a talking point if the managing director doesn't turn up, arguably more so. Um, because if there's a, if, if, if we're pointing out that there's apathy amongst the fan base there, I mean, does it correlate? Does it correlate to apathy from the managing director? Not, not directly, no. But it, it, it certainly indicates that there's uh, <laughs> arguably a lack of importance placed on that game. Um, I mean, this is getting to the business end of a of a season in which in in the league Dundee are, are fighting for their lives in the Premiership. They also had a had a shot at getting to Hamden for a Scottish Cup semi final. And um, you know, I think you would you would want your the man who is effectively running the club on a day to day basis. You would expect him to be there at this point in the season. So uh, I, I do think it's a problem. And then when you when you throw in some of the stuff that Jim's alluded to in and uh, and his segment just there about the, the lack of communication that that fans feel they get um, from John Nelms, then I think it does amount to a problem. Um, and, and I mean, I've, I've I've been banging this drum for a long time that that I that I think John Nelms should be more communicative with supporters because it's all very well and good for him to he can run the club however he likes and and it's fine as part of that strategy. I've said this before for him to decide that he doesn't want to engage media wise, but. I think it's different. There's a difference between engaging with the media and engaging with your supporters because your supporters are effectively stakeholders in your club because their their money goes in and that's that's something that's available to you to use as as you see fit if you like to an extent as managing director. So I think I think he has a duty to be communicative with those fans and and from what we're from what we hear or what we're starting to hear from fans groups, there are rumblings of discontent about a lack of communication, and I think that does give him a big problem. And that's something that he's, he's, he's going to have to address, and it will come to a head, especially if Dundee get relegated this season, I think. Yeah, indeed. Uh, like you say, well, well, like I said, we're united. We've, we've, we're kind of... Uh, there's a big, a lot of big issues to tackle with Dundee when their fate becomes, when their fate becomes known, and it, it does feel like there are certain issues that are about to come to a head and yeah the close season and and United uh, Dundee's perception and tolerance of of John Nelms and and the current the current regime which do put do put money into into the the into the the trans- transfer windows. We've got to say that maybe not quite so much the last one, but certainly all, all the all the managers will say that they've been back down the years. So, but yeah, the the fans and the Nelms topic is one that's just we're marking time on it, aren't we? But bring it back to the the football, Alan. Did you did you envisage when? Because you saw a lot of you saw a lot more of uh, Lee Ashcroft than any of us. Did you envisage he would become as as absolutely talismanic and as and as pivotal to Dundee's hopes of staying up as as he clearly has and you know there's an injury worry, injury worry with him now he is you know it would feel like if they're deprived of him a lot of people are saying forget it for Dundee he's, he's that important to them he was always 
a leader. He was always someone that when the chips were down and if the results weren't going the right way, um, he would front up and he would deliver some home truths. And that's the reason why he was given the armband, hugely respected figure uh, in any dressing room that he's ever been in. Leon, he's, I mean, you forget he's been, you know, been playing at a decent level for quite a long time, going back to breaking through at, at Kilmarnock. He's one of those players that have kind of, with um, with all the love in the world, has, has always kind of looked 30 um, in the sense. So you just kind of assume that he's uh, always been about for a while because um, he's always carried himself with a certain um, <coughs> demeanour. He's to you, Jim. He's speaking- <laughs> Absolutely. Right. I mean, you know, I mean, he looks, he's only 28, but he looks about 25. He's kind of like me. I get past one. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> but, I mean, it's uh, you, you can guarantee that Dundee will be crossing everything that um, Ashcroft isn't as as bad as it looked. I mean, it's it was one of those, we've all uh, seen moments like that and they do make you wince when somebody clutches a body part, no one near them, falls to the turf, hands over the face. You immediately go, ah, that's, that's a bad one and he knows it's a bad one. Um, and especially given it's a hamstring and he's just uh, spent three months on the sidelines with a hamstring injury, he will know what that feels like and... and I wouldn't be massively positive. The last message I just got there suggested that they're they're still kind of waiting for a definitive result on the on the scans, and I'd imagine that would become apparent over the next sort of 24, 48 hours. So uh, they'll have their fingers crossed. But let's be honest. I mean, Dundee are hardly watertight at the back, but if you were going to outline issues that they've got, I don't think defensive would be um, the the optimum one. They've scored one goal in their last five matches and if they're going to get out of this mess then they need to find a way to be potent in the final third. I guess it's a little bit like the conversations we often have with St Johnston. It's which of these sides can find some fluency, which of this, these sides can get the handbrake off in time to fire themselves out of this and also do either side have the personnel to do so. That's going to, that's going to be it. It's going to be the, the race to find their shooting boots, if you like, because both sides are, um, uh, you, you know, you wouldn't be putting... Uh, oh, you know, a lot of money on the handicaps in terms of big goal-scoring matches, would you? Yeah, there's one point there is. I mean, we do kind of, and I'm more conscious of it than most because I, I'm writing a lot about St. Johnson, but there's a lot of people saying, oh, it's Dundee are gone, all the rest of it. There's only one point in it, Jim. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's only one point in it. And, you know, again, without wanting to, to take, you know... A, a broad brush to to the championship because I haven't been I haven't been particularly impressed by watching it uh, when I've seen it on a Friday night. So either Dundee or, or St Johnston, I'd give them a right good chance of of winning a playoff. So you know this is not a this is the fork isn't in them, is it? No, I mean I, 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 the, the thing or to avoid be, at this stage, or it shouldn't be. It's this. Yeah, no, I think the, the, I think people are looking deeper yeah. at the, uh, than than what than a one point gap, aren't mm. they? I mean, there's eight points. There's eight eight games left. Here. I mean, there's three. There's three before the split. Um, not that the split matters to uh, Dundee and St. Johnson because they're, they're you know they're, they're doing anyway. But they're they're in the you know bottom of the league anyway. So they're, so they're into that kind of you know that that bottom split. So then there's five. So there's eight games left for these two to battle it out. I mean, it's it's not inconceivable <laughs> that they, they could catch others, but it's highly unlikely. I mean, there's eight points between Saints and Aberdeen, you know, and nine between Dundee and Aberdeen who are in 10th place, and whoever thought they, they would see that. Interesting conversation with a couple of guys based in Aberdeen last night uh, over the state of that club. But, um, you know, to, to, to stay on track with Saints and Dundee, a point in it, and I think bluntly now it comes down to a combination of things, mainly hunger 
concentration and attitude and, and hunger and attitude you can almost because you, you're now starting you know players must now if they haven't already been I'm sure they have be starting to think about their contracts for next season players that are out of contract players that have a contract have another year or so to go um, but maybe have a you know don't have a relegation clause in their contract so that they go from maybe you know 12, 13, 1400 quid a week down to 7 or, or 8 or something like that you know you've got all of these things to, to think about uh, the better players in the teams, do they want to be in the championship next season? You know, do, do they? You know, the team that finishes um, second bottom, I, that, that, that's a tough championship. You know, I mean, I, I'm not sure how easy it will be against uh, the teams that will finish. You know, uh, kind of outside of the winner, which will come from Kelly or both. Who knows? You know, I'm not sure it'll be that easy over two legs against the the, the championship sides if you finish second bottom of the. Um, the Premiership, things that, you know, the extra games and all the rest that usually throw it in your favour, but um, still a difficult one. So it, it's not impossible by any manner of means for one of these two clubs now to maybe go on a wee run um, if they evidence the right hunger, the right attitude, the right desire. But that's what it comes down to um, at, at this stage. And bizarre as though it sounds, I think both of them have to try and play with a bit of freedom. Because I think when, when you play kind of, when you're tight and, and you play with strictures and you're worried all the time, that's when you make bad passes. That's when you make mistakes because you're, you're, you're there's a fine line between concentration levels in a game and 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 concentrating simply far too much to the stage where you bluntly become tight arsed if I can put it like that. You know, I mean, players need hi, players need to <laughs> players need to play. We I think a, a wee bit. Uh, well, you know, I'm I'm, ta- I'm taking my cue from um, <clears throat> from Sean from here Sean. on, yeah, on exactly. the terrace last week. Was talking with the, the, the lovely pithy phrase peak shite, which I thought I, I might squeeze into <laughs> column this week. You know, <laughs> my last ever column. You know, <laughs> um, you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> no, but save I mean, that I think, for your political yeah, yeah. pieces, James. <laughs> I think you know. I think th- this is still absolutely within the grasp of either Dundee or St. St. Johnson. I'm not saying for a moment, you know, that you know it, it's impossible for them to catch Aberdeen. I think it's pretty much impossible, you know. So it's between these two to battle out, and what it requires now, I think, is a real final push of the wheel. Eight games to go. It's it, it's a lot, you know. There's a lot to play for here with both the squads. Um, it would be a toss of the coin to me as to as to how this one finishes up. Right, Sean. Moving on to to Saints and and still still keeping Dundee in in mind. Obviously, I, I do think, although it is the only one the one point, there is a lot. St Johnson do have a lot. They do have things going for them that when you you sort of put them up against Dundee in terms of there isn't that rancor, there isn't the fan apathy. I know. From speaking to players and people, and management at, at St Johnston, they are absolutely the way in which the supporters are responding has kind of not taken them aback, but it's almost as if it's, you know, they're showing more passion and you know backing for their team than than they probably have earned the right to get this, 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 <laughs> yeah. this season and this season. Obviously, you know, they deserve mm-hmm. it because mm-hmm. of what they've done in the past. You know, so and so there you go, but. You know, there's a togetherness there which isn't happening at Dundee just now. They're getting players back. There isn't the same, you know, the injury crisis, although it's really bitten throughout the course of the season, it doesn't quite feel as there's a sharp edge to, as there is at Dundee's just now. And I would say in general, the sort of, obviously they're not going, they've stuck with their manager, rightly so. There's the continuity there. There's players that are playing for, for their manager. There's I would say genuine, generally, post-split, there's probably 
a more convincing body of work in, from St. Johnson than there has been in Dundee. So they've got all that in their favour, but it is only one point. And this, for me, St. Johnson have to, this is this is their opportunity with, okay, we're not writing them off completely, but Rangers are coming to, are playing Dundee again. So St. Johnson at home to Motherwell, this is their opportunity to put their foot on the throat of Dundee and if they open up a four-point gap, then you could start to think you might even get a Dundee implosion. They have to, this this is their big chance and they have to go out and take it. Would you agree? Yes. Uh, and uh, this is against the Motherwell side that haven't won in 11 uh, in the league as well. So they're is an opportunity there and they've got results when well they've got results against a number of teams but they've got wins against Livingston and, and Hearts and taking points off you know United and Aberdeen Hibs we need three off Motherwell um, and then they've got another home game against Livy as well which is another opportunity and, and alright Livy are it's difficult to call even Livy a form team at the moment because none of those teams in that oh, yeah. middle section are are, are are particularly that. But um, Motherwell certainly are have struggled of late more than Livy have. So uh, this is a massive opportunity to to turn that one point into four. Um, now that's not, Dundee could pull something out of the hat. Against uh, Rangers, um, Rangers will be coming into it off the back of a of a, a trip, a trip to <laughs> Belgrade. Um, so there's a wild card element to it to an extent, but Rangers should have a strong enough squad to deal with that. You would imagine. Um, so I mean, all things considered, on that front, you would have to say Rangers are strong favourites to win that game. Um, so yeah, St Johnston. This is this is really, it really comes. Yeah, God, it, it, it's it's. You hesitate to say it's 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 make or break this weekend because we do have another. Well, the game against Levy, and then it's Celtic, which is difficult, and then of course you've got another five fixtures after that. But if they can win this weekend in Dundee, don't that one point turns into four, and that's that that's big psychologically, I think. Um, I agree totally. Yeah. And it would it would it would it would vindicate the work done since January. Um, it vindicates draws against Aberdeen and Hibs, doesn't yes, it? Yes, it does. It make that's when those points become valuable because at the at the time when you win them, you know if you're if you're writing about them or whatever, you can you can say it's a, a potentially priceless point. That's when that potential becomes reality. If you can if you can seize the advantage when you've got it at moments like this. If they win against Motherwell, those that point against Hibs, that point against Aberdeen, that point against Dundee United, even the point against Dundee way back in January, they all come into play and become and become more important at that point. So this is this is a big one for St Johnston. They've had fantastic support. Uh, and I I'm absolutely positive they will have again uh on Saturday. So this is this is their moment and uh you really, really want to go and see them get three points here, and if they do, I think they put themselves in a very strong position. Yeah, and they have to. It's a mind. It is a mindset one. This one, Alan, isn't it? This isn't a time for for a cagey. You know, it's it's the time for a sort of start they made against Hearts, isn't it? Because it, you know, you have to speak about Dundee when you're speaking about St. Johnson games, and 
Dundee feel like a boxer on the ropes, and St Johnson need to need to to swing that punch, don't they? Although, albeit they're swinging at a motherwell, if you see what I mean. Yeah, it's. I think the the one thing that was interesting after the the Hibs game, and that's a as Sean rightly says, a potentially very creditable point, but there seemed to be an, a really universal acceptance that, right, that's on the board. The next two games, that's when the handbrake comes off. That's when St. Johnston need to alter the mindset, push forward and go for the jugular. And it will be really interesting to see how that comes across in terms of the the personnel. The I mean, I would, obviously... We've learned not to accept, uh, not to expect any sort of kind of change of shape or anything. But in terms of, you know, everyone listening to this will know it's, uh, you know, you can change um, the outlook without changing uh, shape, and that can be done via personnel, via the way they set up. And it's, it'll be very interesting to see how they approach this game because Motherwell are one of these sides that you sort of see out of. Uh, just out of instinct, you go. Oh, it's a it's a tough team to play. Yeah. You know, always yeah. t- always tough to play Motherwell. Well, right now it's the great time to play Motherwell. They're 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 going through a, a fairly dreadful period. So uh, this is a, a real opportunity, and it'll be uh, very very interesting to see what what Callum does in terms of um, the the way St Johnson approached that first twenty minutes and. Um, you know, obviously, there's certain players that have come in in, in January that uh, attacking players. Theo Bear probably been the most obvious one. Uh, Nadir Shifty's um, cameo at Easter Road wasn't wonderful. I was going to say Alec, because it, it just came in sticking with you because it just came into my mind there because you've watched a lot of them playing for uh, Scotland's under twenty ones. Where did and the reason I'm going to throw him in there because I, I think he's now he's now become a real Glenn Middleton. We're talking about here. I. Th- I think if St Johnston get the good Glenn Middleton, they they move up and away from from Dundee because it's the position. It it was the reason that it was it was this it was the other person next to Callum Henry was the reason that Saints didn't go on to I think that didn't win in Hibs. They were pretty solid at the back. I thought they were okay in midfield. We then looked to the Opta stats after the game and Chiefs were 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 horrendous for uh, for the half hour he came on. But having said that, here's one for you. Glenn Middleton had five touches in an hour's football. So and this but this is a Glenn Middleton who had been playing very, very well in in a for a few weeks. So it's you can see you can see the reasons right there why St Johnson weren't a very potent attacking force against Hibbs and he wasn't taking up good positions. Where do where do you see him operating best for 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 Saints? Centrally, if, wide, in a three, uh, in a two, in a one. I feel like, yeah, I feel like if we were to be able to answer that question, then we'd probably be in management because there are several, <laughs> um, several decent level coaches that can't seem to agree on that. Um, you know, he was always considered a winger, and when he broke through uh, at Rangers with a couple of sort of um, impactful cameos, you thought, right, that's a waspish winner who. Um, who'll get down the line and whip in crosses and, and be direct in the final third. He's now evolved into a sort of second striker type yeah. player, whereas for Scotland under-21s, he plays up front on his own. Now, what I would say in that 
Um, well, he doesn't always play up front in his own, but he has done. What I would say about that is that's due to a dearth of options for Scott Gemmell under 21 level. I don't think anyone would suggest that Glenn Middleton's best position is the leading the line striker. on his own. Um, but I, I think there's real potential in him off uh, another attacker. And I take on board what you're saying about the, the lack of touches. And that certainly, I'm sure, would be slightly indicative of not taking up good positions. I think these things also can be indicative of people not finding you. There not being enough progression, progressive passes through the lines to get the ball to Glenn Middleton. I think I'm always loath to just blame strikers when they're not involved enough of the game because um, there are other aspects, uh, you know, to, to take into account uh, as to why they're maybe not involved in the game. But there's the, you're you're right in pointing out the importance of Glenn Middleton because he is a player with a a firecracker of a left foot. He can make the difference in the final third if you can get him involved in the game. And he's someone that, if you were just to look at the game on paper, you think him off Callum Hendry, that's balanced, that's... Um, I think that's it's the best potential. combination just now. I, th- I do, I think, and I think he'll go for it again. So let's let's hope he has the sort of performances that he, he had been putting in. And, uh, you know, he, he can be, you know, put it this way, he'd, he'd walk into Dundee's team, wouldn't he? And... You know, let's let's see if St. Johnson can get the best out of it. I'll come back to you in a minute, Alan, because you are you're, you're you're an expert in a few fields in this, but you're also, <laughs> as well as our, our Glenn Middleton Scotland under twenty one expert, you're also our, our championship expert, having seen a lot of Dunfermline and Wraith, and are both Jim. But we'll we'll speak to you. Are you making any sense of uh, what's going on in the championship? I think I think Kilmarnock are are now going. They're going to pull away and they're going to win that. They're going to win that title. Do you agree? <clears throat> I don't know, Eric. I mean, I think you know, Derek McInnes is. Uh, you know, I think some people seem to kind of get the impression that that that, that Dell kind of picked uh, Kilmarnock up in a state of chaos. It was in well, it was second top, wasn't it, when he when he picked him up as as I recall. You know, but. Um, it's a hard one to call. I mean, at the moment, advantages, you know, the, the balance of the advantages with Kilmarnock. They've got the two-point lead. Um, a hell of a result are, for them, wasn't it? Both. Yeah, yeah. I mean... It was a real statement some, of intent. Yeah. Somebody said to me last night, are both kind of simply re- recalibrating. And and by the way, I, I you know, I don't think there's any great dishonour losing to Inverness because he started the season really well under um, under, under Wee Dodgy. Um, however, it's it, it, it looks like a straight scrap now, doesn't it, between... Uh, between you know Kelly in in that leading position and our growth because there's there are six points between Partick and our growth albeit you know there's there's still a game in hand here so there's there's certainly plenty to play for but um, it kind of you wonder with them being full time and all the rest that we're getting to the stage in the season where um, you know do legs get heavy does the mind get heavy you know uh, when you when you're a part time player I don't know I certainly wouldn't be writing our growth off I really would not I mean I think they're a side that have you know never mind their footballing abilities which have been exemplary this season they've also exemplified their fighting qualities their, their you know their heart their kind of their commitment you know I mean it's been a terrific season for me to be honest if it hadn't been for their if they could have translated more kind of draws into wins that they'd have run away with this league I mean 12 draws was uh, you know and, and 13 wins um, kind of maybe indicates a wee problem they've had if they turn more of those draws into wins and some of them have been they've been very close to doing that they're actually they'd have probably been crowned champions now but at the moment the balance of advantage lies with Kilmarnock, but I'm not convinced by any manner of means that, that, that Arbroath are out of this. Are you less convinced by Arbroath, Sean? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm a Kilmarnock person at this point. Um, I, I think 
Well, <laughs> I, 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 it's not something I've ever said before in my life, to be fair. But uh, I, I am at this point. I think um, I think when Derek McInnes came in, I, I said I thought that he would. He, he's got enough experience and enough now to to enough good players to get them over the line and enough good players to get them over the line. And actually, that's not to say that I don't think Tommy Wright could have done it. I think he he, he probably could have as well. But um, the Kilmarnock board didn't think so, pulled the trigger and they, they had a hell of a replacement lined up, let's be honest. So um I it hasn't been spectacular from Kelly, but then a very few Derek McInnes teams have been spectacular over the years, which was one of the major complaints Aberdeen fans had about him. But what they what they have been is pretty effective. And uh, I think kind of slowly and steadily they've just been plugging away and chipping away at it and uh, moving in the right direction. And I think at this point, they do have enough about them, uh, both on and off the pitch, just to get the to get the job done. Um, so I think that Kilmarnock will win that league now, uh, unfortunately, because I would absolutely, I would still love to see Arbroath win it. Um, but I think they might just have to content themselves with a place in the playoffs at this point. I would agree with you. I would, yes, I think aiming for that, not aiming for second, but I think yeah, if, if a second would be a phenomenal achievement for Arbroath, and I think that I think they'll do it. But yeah, I think that'll be the that'll be the place for them. Alan, how do, Wraith and Dunfermline are both they're they're they been they're strange, strange story. I'm, I'm just talking football wise. They're very peculiar storylines this season for the pair of them. Wraith are still right in there. Another team that's had a, a wretched run of form, and you know we'll speak about. I'll, I'll, you know, I'm putting them both to you as if as if they're linked, but they're not. But Dunfermline, on the other hand, I think that I'm just going by your reports and your analysis and comments of it. Dunfermline are a much better team than the, than they were, but yet they're still right in the in in the middle of. In, in the middle of real trouble and haven't haven't been able to do a Morton or you know even a Hamilton get themselves get themselves out of it. How do you kind of assess the position of the two of them to achieve their respective aims in the final furlong if we're calling it that now the running? I think Wraith Rovers are basically in a straight shootout with Inverness for that final uh, playoff position. I think the the title hopes that either side have or or had are long gone after the eleven game winless runs that they both had. Um, I think Wraith Rovers could have done without Inverness blasting out of their winless run in quite the manner that they did on the same weekend that, that Wraith Rovers won. But nevertheless, it was a heartening result. Wraith Rovers were missing eight first team players for various reasons. So it's it was a gutsy um, hard-fought result and that should do them the world of good. Um, so th- that'll be important because these things become self-fulfilling prophecies. They, they, when once, you know, once a winless run gets to six, seven, eight, it just keeps, you know, it becomes a monk mm. in the back. So now that they've got that off, they can maybe play with a bit more freedom and you might see a bit more of the Wraith Rovers that went 15 games unbeaten earlier in the season. And it is very easy to forget that because quite so much has happened since then. But there's still a, you know, they're still a good manager and they're still a half-decent team there. Um, as for Dunfermline, they have immeasurably improved in their style of football and are have probably been the better team in the last three games that they've played, um, uh, including against the top two 
So that's, but the problem is there appears to be a, well, there's not enough uh, firepower in the final third. Um, Kevin O'Hara and Lewis McCann, depending on who starts, aren't scoring goals at the moment. And when they do get a goal, when they do get ahead, there seems to be a mental block in terms of game management and seeing it out. I don't know if that's nerves. I don't think many people in that Dunfermline dressing room, certainly the ones that started the season, signed up for a relegation battle. So I'm not sure if it's um, if the nerves, if the tensions get into the situation. Uh, you would need to, you know, the players would need to tell you that candidly. But um, if they could just, you know, when they do get a foothold in games, when they do get ahead, if they just just keep playing the game, you know, turn one nil into two nil, um, because they are playing well enough to win football matches. But if that needs to become three points on a regular basis, because the teams around them are showing a habit of picking up big wins that, as yet, Dunfermline haven't quite achieved. Mm, so, are you are you optimistic for, for I both, think... both of them? One to get in the playoffs, obviously, and one to. Well, how high should Dunfermline be looking? I mean, should you know is is success now the playoffs for them? Or is... I think I, I think Wraith Rovers will finish fourth, and I think Dunfermline will finish ninth. I will take no further questions. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, it's not it's not as if we we take notice of your Dunfermline predictions, Ex- exactly. Alan. You know, exactly. <laughs> Right, okay. Well, listen, thank you very much, gentlemen. That was another good podcast, and thank you very much for listening. We'll be back next week. If you like the podcast, we'd be grateful if you tell your pals about it, or even better, leave a review or a simple rating on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. All that really helps people to find talking football, and that means a lot to us. Don't forget, too, to pick up your copy of The Courier Monday to Saturday or go to thecourier.co.uk slash subscribe to find out how to get our award-winning sport, business and local journalism across Tayside and Fife in the way that's right for you. The Courier. Local matters.